0: You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening, and welcome to this week's best possible taste. I'm Sharon Noonan, and coming up on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants will be in the studio shortly with his latest vino suggestions. Vulture Ireland's Sinead Hennessy will be on the phone to tell us about the Food Champion Initiative. I'm out and about at Taste of Dublin and meet John Walsh in the Shabean and talk to Reva and John from Black Castle Drinks. And finally, at the end of the show, award-winning Limerick author Roisin Meany will join me in the studio to tell us about her latest book, The Reunion, and where she's going to be doing book signings and readings in the coming months, one of which includes music and light refreshments. Sounds good. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And whilst you're getting in touch, let's chat to Ron Forrestal and find out what wine recommendations he has for us this month. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, you're very welcome to the studio this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And you're going to take us back in time tonight to the 60s, to what the Irish wine market was like then.
1: Well, I just thought it was interesting, The, the wine market in Ireland has evolved Dramatically, in the 50 plus years that wine has been imported in a serious way in Thailand. And it's moved on, people's tastes have moved on significantly, and we're now one of the most discerning markets in Europe uh, for wine.
0: So we've got a bit fussy, we've moved on from the black tar. And the rosé, and we have,
1: we have N- nearly everybody has. Um, There's still a market there for it, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a market, and those products have changed too. I suppose it starts back in the when the restaurant business and the hotel business really came into its own in the you know late 50s, 60s, where you had hotels like the Shelburne, and you know they 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 were high profile and they had big, extensive, old world French wine lists, um, and they were not for everybody, obviously, because they were very expensive. Um, but every restaurant started to get in some wines and people started to have a bottle of wine at Christmas um, and there was as you say there was Black Tower Blue Nun um, B&G which was a big ad campaign which was on television was a French product and uh, like leaf fromage and I've brought a bottle of leaf fromage here it's not a product that I actually sell at all but I, I have a case of it um for whatever reason I have a case of it but I just thought it was interesting and I haven't tasted it myself I just haven't found the occasion that (laughs) that I'd have opened it up but it's it's a German product it's a style of wine leaf image Um, uh, there was one called Green Label years ago which you remember is in a lot of restaurants Um, and Germany was the only country in Europe really that adds sugar to its wine because it didn't have the weather like France had it didn't have the weather like Spain had so in order to create alcohol it had to uh, add sugar and um, with that, the off times they added a little bit more. Now, very few Germans actually drank this themselves. They exported virtually all of it. And it's, it's a good way to start drinking wine. It's pretty sweet and it's, uh, it's easy to drink.
0: I have a few stories about Milch now. It's a bit of a blast from the past. Though I have to say, this looks like an expensive bottle of milch. Like the the label in the bottle and everything looks much classier than the milch that I would have been used to in my college years. We had a party one night in one of the houses whenever we were students. And like at all of these parties, people would have brought lots of drink with them, beer and everything. And there would have been nothing left in the house the next day, except there was not one but two bottles of Leapfrau Milch that people had brought as gifts for the hosts, knowing that and Sharon is a host, liked <laughs> liked wine. And one of them was your standard 75 CL, but the other one then was like a magnum of Leapfrau Milch. <laughs> and I remember saying to my friend Dennis that had brought it, Dennis, had, he'd gone into the off-license and he'd said, oh, I'm going to a party and she likes wine and I want to take her a nice bottle of wine. And the salesperson had said, oh, this is very, this is hugely popular around here, mm-hmm. this bottle. And I have it in it like a super mega size." So God loved Dennis. He thought he was bringing me something really fabulous. And I said, never again, Dennis. Never <laughs> take it anywhere ever again. That wasn't to say I hadn't gone through a period where I did like to drink the Leap milch And Peas Porter would have He's been Porter, another yeah, one. Another
1: one, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they had very distinctive labels. You know, They had very colourful, a lot of um, um, arty kind of labels, you know. Um, which is a German kind of thing you know it's, it's a German standard in advertising actually um, but it's it was just one and then the market moved on significantly um, in the 90s but there was a period of 25 or 30 years there where they, these were standard products on all wine lists, and Irish people didn't drink an awful lot of wine and didn't associate wine with food at all really um, uh, but now in the 90s when things became a bit more um, prosperous Ireland started importing more wine. It became easier to import wine from places like Chile. Chile made a huge impact in the 90s, in the early 90s, even in Ireland. Uh, South Africa, um, Australia, particularly. And Australia and Chile are fighting out for number one at the moment. Chile has just slightly passed them out this year. But between the two of those, they account for one in two bottles in the country, between Chile and Australia at the moment. In Ireland. Mm. Wow. 49% sales between the two of them. That's phenomenal. Um, so, but the thing—the thing that's different here, and you'll notice this if you go on holidays, particularly in Europe—is that we have a fantastic array of wine available because we have no home market. We have no market, wine market of our own. We have no wine, Irish wine to sell, which means we're open to import and everything. Whereas, if you go to France or if you go to Italy, obviously they're very biased to their own products. So you'll find, like, you go a long way to find a bottle of New Zealand wine in France at all, except in very high-end wine shops but no supermarkets will carry anything. The resemblance either Chile, South Africa, may have some Australian, some good Australian. But see, Ireland has no connection with anything bar, drinking wine, so they import everything. We import from everywhere, from Hungary, from Austria, from everywhere. You'll find it in good wine shops.
0: Well, one of your bugbears with the Irish people is that we get a bottle that we like. It's a australian sauvignon blanc and we Mm. we kind of have difficulty moving away from that and
1: trying something else it is yeah you know listen it's everybody's their own taste and what they get they like um but irish people have the same thing with what else they drink that's just not wine Uh, like i know people who have drank bacardi and coke for as long as i've ever known them um which is probably twenty years, and they've never changed from anything like that. And they wouldn't even try a different rum to Bacardi, yeah. yeah. If you know what I mean, it's 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 funny. And then you get particularly if you if you go onto the continent, you see if you sit down a bar in your holidays now, and you see people trying all manners of things, you know, just because. But uh, but Irish people have a much more um, uh, dedicated view to 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 drinks and and alcohol in general and that works for wine as well and now people have some their tastes are fantastic i've done tastings with you know anything from groups of eight people to 50 people and they're very discerning and the knowledge is exceptionally good um with some people and they'll try anything that doesn't mean they'll buy a bottle of it when they go in somewhere because they want to go back to what they actually like to drink themselves but uh, they will try anything and and their tasting is very good and but then as, as the wine market moved on to the 90s to the, up to the 2000s and now we're just we have a huge array of products we have probably somewhere around 27 or 28 uh, wine companies operating in the country another hundred importers outside that agents that import and various other things so it's a huge market of wine it's worth uh, the reckon there's 1.47 million uh, Irish people drink wine on a weekly basis uh, the market is worth 2.5 billion it's that's uh, a lot of money.
0: This, it's yeah, of it's a lot of money, and obviously the volume of particular wines depends very much on the marketing budget that they have behind it. Mm. Because the ones that are on TV with the advertising campaigns or doing the specials in the off licenses and the supermarkets, they're going to get the volume
1: sales. They are, and it's funny if you look at a lot of the very big brands, particularly from Australia. Uh, and some of those in New Zealand as well they tend to be owned by very large corporations uh, like the, there's a group of Rosemont, Lindemans uh, Wolf Blass uh, which are owned by South Corp, which is one company own all those and that's where the budget for that kind of thing comes from um, and the Irish market is a very small market for them um, and we we box above our weight really with with some country as an important wine from some place Chile we're a huge market for Chile which is way beyond our, our size we are number eighth or ninth in their market in the world and we're only four and a half million people mm. or five million people so we're amazing like that we're drinking a lot of wine. Um, which is great uh, it's an acceptable form of alcohol you know it's, it's acceptable to, to have a glass of wine in the evening which is fantastic and it's great and uh, it's um, but it's yeah the big budgets but now like there's an Albarino for example on the table here I bought a few wines that are very up to date then um, which are real new and very fashionable now and one is an Albarino uh, North Spain very good product not a cheap product at all now that's costing around 15 or 16 euros a bottle but it's a it's a smashing product and if you like more more wines and more body to them you know like not chardonnay but somewhere between sauvignon blanc and chardonnay for body sauvignon blanc tends to be very light you know dry and acidic and fresh whereas the the alberino has much more body to it much more like a chardonnay and then i bought a malbec from uh, argentina And Malbec is just... I mean, the smallest wine list that I'm doing. I just left a guy that we are doing a wine list with eight wines on it. And years ago, Malbec wouldn't have even been considered... Like, three years ago, it wouldn't have been considered as one of those eight wines. And today, uh, Malbec has gone on as a pouring. It's hugely popular. He wants to be able to bit a glass. He wants to be able to bit a glass in Malbec. I think that's amazing in, in a short space of time.
0: It sounds to me that people's tastes are always surprising
1: you. they are are, well I think it's the amount of people that people are travelling thanks to Michael O'Leary and and, and people like that that they're able to travel very quickly you're able to go out and you end up somewhere where you're forced into trying something that you wouldn't particularly try at home maybe and then you come home with something like the like the gin um, phenomenon in the country it's amazing it's mad yeah it's just amazing It's, it's, it's came out of nowhere and suddenly people who were you know, the only choice they ever made was between CDC and Gordon's in Bombay on a special occasion. Yeah, Bombay was the yeah. real fancy one. And now yeah. they're they're spending, you know, they're buying Hendricks or uh, you know, Trump uh, uh, shambo uh, short uh,
0: yeah.
1: And they're they're spending. With a, with a fever tree tonic they're spending 11 or 12 euros on a gin and tonic uh, I think it's remarkable
0: yeah it's it great. is <laughs> you uh, think it's madness as well <laughs> I think slightly yeah, <laughs> slightly
1: but uh, it's very fashionable and it just shows that things are improving Yeah, that market is opening up
0: well I think people are savouring their drinks more and enjoying them more and making them last longer it's not a case of going out and just drinking it really fast to quench the thirst. It is, absolutely. You know, it is they don't get out
1: as often Oh, so, no, that's you know. right.
0: Certainly not in our house Well, anyway. I know that's
1: what happens with, yeah. but when you get out once every six weeks. <laughs> I know, <yeah. laughs> You know, put a bit more time into it.
0: Tell me more about these two products then. What yes. goes well with Albarina? Is it stand-alone, a nice refreshing drink, or does it go well with any particular food?
1: It goes very well with the food of northern Spain, which is, you know, your tapas. your Lovely, yeah. Um, a fish with a bit of body to it, um, as in, you know, flesh fish like monkfish like hake, something that has a bit of but it'll stand up to a lot of big flavours because it's a fairly it's a fairly robust uh, white wine but a smashing drink and it's very although I say it's quite robust it's very delicate to drink it's a really nice drink and then on the red Malbec it's it's just amazing like this is a they say this is a blended Malbec because it's Malbec and Malbec it's two different Malbecs from two different vineyards within Calia which is a, a, a and this is from San Juan in in Argentina, not um, Mendoza, which is more, really all the wine consumed. But this is a beautiful product, and the, you need to spend money on Malbec. You need to be spending—if you're buying in a supermarket—need you need to be spending around 11 or 12 euros a bottle on it. Anything below that tends to be pretty sharp, pretty rough. Whereas they get finer as they, as you spend more money on it.
0: Is this one of your personal favourites?
1: Yeah, I like this. Yeah, mm. I like this. It's you a good can drink. Tell.
0: Yeah. and both products are available from yourself by yes, a kios yeah well uh, you said you had a <laughs> if there's anybody out, if there's anybody out there <laughs> that's yearning for it you have it <laughs> yeah I definitely
1: have that
0: um, <laughs> all the details on forestal.ie yes. as usual Ron thanks for coming in to us tonight no Great problem. to talk to you
1: thanks very much
0: Cheers so. chin, chin.
2: salut schleinte.
0: Great as always to have Ron in studio and if you have a wine recommendation that you'd like to share with the listeners or a question that you'd like to put to Ron on his next visit, please drop me an email with the details at Still to come tonight, I'm out and about at Taste of Dublin and meet John Walsh in the Shebeen and talk to Reva and John from Black Castle Drinks. And finally, at the end of the show, award-winning Limerick author Roisin Meany will join me in the studio to tell us about her latest book. Next, though, it's over to the phone where Sinead Hennessy from Fulcher, Ireland, Food Tourism Department is waiting to tell us all about the recently launched Food Champion Programme.
1: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Shania, thanks for joining us this evening. Thanks, Sharon. And you're going to tell us about the Food Champions Initiative by Fulch Ireland.
2: That's right. Um, Last week, we appointed 16 new food champions to the initiative. Um, We're very, very excited about them. There was over 400 individual nominations from a, a range of, of of people across Ireland um, and from that we took 16 emerging champions to, to, to take forward over the next three years.
0: Now the people come from different walks of life so some of them are chefs, some of them are food producers, some of them are... Um, there's and an off... Bakers. Yeah, beggars and off licenses. So t- tell us a bit about why the people were chosen.
2: Well, it, it's really for the work that they're already doing in their regions, in their local communities, um, in, 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 in shouting about how great Irish produce is and how great the Irish food experience is. Um, we're, we're really, really lucky this time in that we, we, we have the drinks industry well represented as well. So we have two craft brewers in there for Ireland's agencies, and we have a whiskey expert as well, Seanine um, Sullivan from Dublin, a breath of fresh air.
0: And this is an extension of the food ambassadors program that you had a few years ago, so how has it changed to that actual initiative
2: well we've we've reviewed it, and we have put a, um, I suppose a timeline on it, I suppose so uh, these food champions will be food champions for three years every year for the next three years they're going to go on a benchmarking trip. Um, we are going to meet with them a couple of times a year and encourage them to support their their local businesses um where 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 they are um to endorse or or to to align what they're doing with the tourism brands um where they are and i suppose help them develop food tourism in the region
0: so it is very much about marketing what Ireland has to offer in the food industry, and for each individual to really pinpoint what's exciting, what's happening in their area.
2: That's right. It's really about it's, it's really about an amplified message, Sharon. Um, you know, it's, it's, we're, we're all collectively we know what a great product we have in Ireland, and um, we have some of the best raw ingredients in the world. And we have some of the best producers, some of the best chefs, you know, um, emerging chefs out there. And it's really about, you know, telling the world what we have and what we can do, developing the experience on the ground and making sure that when our visitors come to, to stay in Ireland, although they may not necessarily be coming for the food, that will definitely exceed their expectations when they're here. So what we're actively trying to do, I suppose the end goal is to get our visitors to stop, spend longer in an area um, and 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 talk about it when they go home.
0: Because this year, on, in this initiative, you've actually kind of divided the people up into areas according to the destination brands that Fulcher Ireland has.
2: That's right. So we have three um, brands that we, we, I suppose, geographically we split out. Um, and how we work with, we we work in three separate ways i suppose um we have Ireland's east which is our newest brand that was launched this, this year you've probably seen the ad um over the weekend uh, we have just launched, launched a new ad for it um that is in the the east so the 17 counties so It's in the east part of ireland we have the wild atlantic way which is I suppose, a more, uh, more established, mature brand at this stage, um, and it's, it's doing, it's really, really successful and doing very well. And then we have the rebranded Dublin, A Breath of Fresh Air, that we work with as well. So, we, ha- we now have eight food champions in Ireland's Angels They're geographically dispersed throughout the, throughout the geography of the brand. We have six food champions in Dublin and we have eight food champions along the Wild Atlantic Way and then we have, we have Tom Flavin as well in Limerick so it's nice to get the local representation in there as well
0: Yeah, it's super annoying. Tom Flavin would be well known in this part of the world because he is from West Limerick
2: That's right. I think he's um, he's really interesting um, as a food champion Sharon because when you look at the the profile of champions that we have, we, we have a mix um, and a, a lot of them are um, you know they're they're all about the arts and they're all about the the, the, the small producers. They're all about the, the the production and all of that kind of stuff. Tom is a chef. He the Strand Hotel is a large corporate business. Um, and it, it's a large commercial business, and I think what's so interesting about Tom is it, you know he's really really tells what he says to me is you, you can be from a, a very very large commercially commercial business it's still source local and support your local producers and local local businesses and that's really really great um, a great thing about Tom
0: and all credit to the Strand Hotel for allowing him to, to be involved in something like this because I would imagine it does take up a lot of time or you only get out as much as what you put into it
2: that's it I think um, and I, I think that the, the selection process for Food Champions we really really kind of tried to look at who is doing this already um, so it's not really uh, an extra job but there's certainly a level of work in this um, in, in, in mobilizing local communities and local networks and you know sharing information and getting information and sharing it back um, so yeah there is there is quite a bit of work in it but Luckily, um, for meeting the food champions this week, um, it it seems to be work that they are already doing and work that they love doing.
0: So it doesn't feel like work at all, really, then?
2: Well, I think so.
0: Exactly, yeah. Now, you, you had over 400 applications. Were you totally overwhelmed and amazed at the number of people that are involved in the industry out there that really wanted to take on the role of being a food champion?
2: We were... We were blown away, if I'm honest with you Sharon, um, we, we certainly weren't expecting 400 uh, n- n- nominees to, to, to come in um, and you know it really is a testament to to how where food is going um, in, in, in our tourism and, and, and the value and the contribution it makes um, to tourism. Um, one thing that I did note and you know, for, from the applications that came in, is we got some fantastic established names being nominated. And I think the whole point of this this Food Champion Network is that we would we would pick or nominate or, or put through these emerging characters. So we were really, really looking for those who were just under the surface, not the big established names in Irish food, but those who are doing a lot of work, um under the radar, getting stuff done um, and, and, and that's, the, that's the type of character we, we were kind of targeting for this particular campaign
0: well we're looking forward to meeting them over the coming months because our plan now is that we will talk to one each month and we're going to start with Tom Flav. And of course we have to start on our doorstep so oh, that's right. we'll be asking them about their individual areas and what they love about their region and find out a bit more about that so that's very exciting for the show to have those individuals taking part so best of luck with it Sinead it's, it's super initiative and am
2: really excited about it
0: Yeah, we look forward to, to keeping up to date with everything that they get in involved in over the next 12 months.
2: Thanks very much, Sharon.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal of Forrestal Wine Merchants has shared his latest wine suggestions. And just before the break, I was talking to Fulch Ireland's Sinead Hennessy about the Food Champion Programme. And hopefully we will have West Limerick's Tom Flavin in studio next week or the week after. So we'll hear a bit more about it from his perspective don't forget, if you missed any of the shows so far, it will be up on the podcast and you'll find that on soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes using the podcast app. Still to come tonight, award winning Limerick author Roisin Mini will join me in the studio shortly to talk to us about her latest book, The Reunion. But before that, we're heading out and about. A few weeks ago, I was lucky enough to go to Taste of Dublin in Ivy Gardens. And when I was there, I met up with a couple of interesting businesses. One was from Galway and one from Wicklow. So firstly, you're going to hear me chatting to John Walsh in the Shebeen, a converted caravan, which is now a traditional Irish pub on wheels. And then I'll be talking to husband and wife team, John McGee and Riva O'Malley of black castle drinks, who produce grown-up sodas? Cheers, Cheers.
3: chin chin.
2: Salut, schleunig.
0: John, we're in the Chevene at Taste of Dublin, and I must say, it's like a bit of like a just coming inside. It tell us how the whole idea came about.
4: Yeah, the whole idea came about. as was uh, three years ago, um, electric picnic ran a competition. Uh, to design, submit a design on how you'd convert a caravan or a, an old mobile home. So we kind of, I suppose, I like all the old pubs. I like. Um snook the, all the old memorabilia and that and I think I had this caravan left over we bought it on Dundee for like 600 euros so uh, it was it was the, the most natural route to convert the caravan into a traditional Irish pub
0: So let's talk about the interior of it it is very spacious it's just a standard would it have been what sort of a caravan would it have been known as to caravan people or in the caravan world what a touring caravan
4: a touring caravan yeah i think it's a six was a six birth so um, it's 30 years old, 32 years old, I think. And uh, yeah, it's, um, I'm sure there was probably a family of four or a family of six have, have, slept, have uh, stayed in it or holidayed it from time to time. So when we got it, we done a complete uh, renovation on it. We built new windows, um, replaced the floor, replaced one of the walls, and then obviously done, fitted out the inside of ourselves. Uh, so you have all the typical little uh, bar counter and a back bar with uh, distressed wood. Um, you have the old uh, patterned wallpaper and then all the old uh, pictures, mirrors, memorabilia stuff. So,
0: And you've thought of everything even so far as the scent in here because there's the turf fire smell, but there's no turf fire
4: burning really, as such. Yeah. We have um, a little electric stove in it that that gives out heat and uh, then I have um, a solid turf kept under the counter so we'd break off a piece and, and light it every every morning and we'd, we'd open up or whatever the case may be.
0: What was your background
4: before you took on this project? What were you working at? Um, well, I'm a cabinet maker by trade and uh, my main business is the company Clinical Cabinets. So uh, we're based in Clarenbridge and we manufacture design and manufacture a laboratory and workspace furniture
0: so this was a perfect complement to your existing set. yeah but,
4: um, it was something different I suppose from what um, their normal run of the day stuff that we do the, lab- the laboratory furniture and that um, so this was kind of initially it was a, a team building project for the guys on a Friday after lunch we do four or five hours on this and it would just give the guys something different there was a little bit of electrical work in it um, just wallpapering uh, painting and then the kind of the stonework on the outside and that so it was a nice, a nice change from what, what we normally do
0: well I mean it is so innovative and the tables the upholstery the net curtains the pictures like you've thought of everything and there is a working bar tell us what you have at the bar here
4: yeah there's a fully functioning bar and so you've got two taps you can run whatever whether it's a Guinness or a Heineken at the minute we have a Estrella running in it and we have a red ale from the Franc- Franciscan um, well in Cork um, you've got a double cooler That'll run you two taps, and then you've got a um, a barrel of gas, so it'll, you can comfortably pull two different types of beer from it.
0: And you own this unit, and you rent it out, then, and, and take it to different events. Like this is house the the nightclub bar place in Dublin is serving the drinks here
4: today. That's correct. yeah so they've uh, sponsored this unit for the for the weekend, and they'll pull their their um, their cocktails and their their beers from it. So, yeah, it's, um, we, we rent it out 24 hours, you're looking at about €990, Euros, and delivery then would be a little bit extra, depending on where you are in the country. And you do it in America as well? Yeah, we have one, brought one to the States, it, it arrived over there on the 1st of March, and I spent the full month of March over there promoting it, so it's based in Boston. And that's available to rent in Boston and the surrounding areas.
0: I'd say it's something that would be hugely popular at weddings over there with the Irish blood in them because the weddings end so early in, in America that the Irish want something to keep going into the evening.
4: Yeah, it does. It works. We have actually booked for two weddings already over there. And we have two good-sized corporate gigs as well. So, um, yeah, weddings and weddings corporate, I suppose, would be our main market.
0: And you also then build them to order for people that want to own one themselves?
4: Yeah, we do. With obviously the full, with clinical cabinets, we have a full uh, joinery shop and a spray booth so we can manufacture, we build them from scratch to custom built to whatever the guy needs.
0: You must have a great sense of personal
4: satisfaction when you look around at it and see what you've achieved with it. Um, I probably do, I suppose, yeah. Uh, I think the nicest part of the build for me is always when it's completed um, you get the, the sound system uh, set up and uh, the last finishing touches is hanging the old pictures and the old mirrors and that that's I think that's what I get the biggest when you know when it's you're within a, a day of having it completed and that.
0: How long would the fit out take approximately?
4: Uh, this one took about 90 days to build okay. for one man so yeah about three, three months working.
0: And do you find that there is an abundance of this type of caravan for your on done deal and places like that to, to buy the the raw unit
4: so to speak well um this is the this type of, of caravan the the shape i suppose is a little bit unique it's it's quite square a lot of the newer caravans will be a little bit more rounded on the front and that so what we done with uh, this one we didn't change the outside shape as such but the second shipping that we have in the states that was built from a brand new chassis and a brand new frame wall system and that so we actually built it exactly what what we needed
0: and it's suitable for little people to visit as well absolutely, I absolutely <laughs> yeah
4: everybody gets a kick out of
0: it <laughs> and you've had not just these little people here visiting but I see the pictures there you've lots of, of different very well known faces have visited yeah, at we some had, stage
4: um, I suppose last year this is our second year of taste so last year we had uh, I think all the all the top chefs Nevin McGuire Kevin Dundon uh, Bryn Pope came in we had um, who else had we with Bobby Kerr was in it with uh, a couple of bands in it, with two bands in it last year, so anybody uh, we know, uh, the amazing Apples in Galway, which are an, a new up-and-coming band, really good, and Nafina, who are actually playing here again today. It would
0: be a great unit to have a bit of a session in, like a musical session and storytelling, like a rambling. House. Yeah,
4: absolutely. We have um, a Shanachie actually that lives lives uh, local to me in Bridge. That uh, he's, I suppose, he's an addition. If anybody wants to rent the shebeen and have a storyteller as well, yeah, this great. Guy is Yeah,
0: super yeah, so. idea. And does it just hook up to the car, the jeep, and away you go, or do you have to take some things off the facade of it to make it transportable?
4: Um, no, everything is pretty much uh, screwed and, and glued in place. The only thing, that, the few bits that you see here, the two little tables and the bar stools. Um, there's an old high-nelly bike outside, and then we have the window boxes. They're the only things that are removable, and they're placed inside. And uh, it just hitches onto the back of your jeep then and away you go
0: fantastic well i love it thanks so much for having me and my three small people here today who've been relatively good eating the kios crisps wish you all the best with it and do keep us informed as to where it's going to be if if it if it is ever down in the limerick direction absolutely thanks very much john you won the bank of ireland competition to have a stand here at taste of dublin with black castle drinks tell us what your product
3: is first of all Yeah, well, we're Black Castle drinks, so we make craft sodas uh, all made by ourselves in Wicklow. Uh, So they're they're soft drinks that, I suppose, if you're not drinking alcohol and you want something a little bit different, uh, they've got an extra little bit of a kick. So we have a fiery ginger beer that's made of rich muscovado sugar and it's got spices like cinnamon and allspice in there as well. We have a, a spiced red lemonade, so it's our little play on a traditional Irish red lemonade, but it's got some spices infused in it. And then we have a bramble sting, which is blackberry and nettle. So they're all great as a drink on their own or they can be drank as a mixer to a a premium spirit. So we kind of say that the red lemonade goes really well with a whiskey, the uh, ginger beer goes really well with a rum or a whiskey and the bramble sting goes really well with gin.
0: Your background is in the drinks industry so did the idea suddenly come to you or was it a work in progress? How did you come up with the, the business idea?
3: Um, yeah, we were we were living actually in London for three years, like a lot of Irish. I suppose we moved we moved over there during the recession, and uh, I was managing um, pubs over there, and uh, we kind of saw that. There was a lot of um, soft drinks, premium soft drinks in London and we just thought there was nothing in Ireland really uh, doing the same and we've got such a great tradition of, of drinks in Ireland and uh, I mean there's so many great new craft spirits and craft beers but there was nothing for soft drinks so that's where we came up with the idea really and when we moved back we, uh, we decided to go for it and, and make it ourselves.
0: Tell me a bit about the manufacturing process
3: out in Wicklow. Yeah, so we're based in Wicklow Town. The the Black Castle is actually uh, a ruin in Wicklow Town. Um, and we do our manufacturing in Newmarket Kitchen, which is in Bray, just up the road in, in North Wicklow. Um, and uh, yeah, we make it all by hand ourselves. And um, yeah, there's a lot. I suppose the hardest bit is, is getting the spice infusions right, but we uh, yeah we use all natural ingredients, and it's it's just a matter of getting this the, as much flavour out of them as we can. Yeah.
0: Well, I think it's very innovative that it is. Obviously, each product is a standalone drink in itself, but then it goes well with an alcoholic beverage. So you're you're hitting really all sides of the market yeah, there.
3: Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of us the idea was. It's a, it's an alternative to. Alcohol alcohol. alcohol but we're you know we're we're not anti alcohol we bought we bought like a drink ourselves so we we wanted it to be used as a as a tall drink you know with a with a nice mixer or with it as a mixer with a nice spirit so um, yeah I mean that's kind of like it's even a lot of our clients will be pubs but also cafes so it's kind of something if you want a drink in the daytime or uh, if you if you're going out for a nice and you want a nice mixer so it's kind of uh, yeah got both bases covered really which one is the most popular the most popular I think is probably our ginger beer just because a lot of people um, are kind of hearing about uh, ginger beers now but it's not something that is massive in Ireland yet and it's quite hard to get so when people get it they absolutely love it and um, our ginger beers quite a bit different to any that you can get on the market because we use muscovado sugar so it's quite a rich ginger beer really full of flavor so um, i mean we can keep our sugar levels down quite low but we get a lot of the flavor then from the fact that it's a rich muscovado and we also infuse it with some nice other spices as well so there's a lot of flavor but a lot of sugar and which one is your favorite my favorite is actually the red lemonade i love it it's quite a sherbet uh, flavor to it and it's really good with a whiskey as well and i'm a big whiskey fan so it's uh, really nice
0: and then you have the other one then is a Bramble Sting, and I'm going to taste it. You're going to crack open a bottle of it here for me. So there's a great fizz in it then.
3: Yeah, it's got a little sparkle. I mean, they're not really fizzy. We, did, we didn't want something that was really sweet and really fizzy. We want something that you can just sip and enjoy it rather than just being full of gas and full of sugar. So, um, yeah, it just has a nice light sparkle to it. Uh, and it really helps then as well if, if it's as a mixer. Just
0: while I'm tasting here, tell me what the ingredients are.
3: Well, the ingredients, uh, that's the bramble sting. So it's actually um, blackberry and nettle flavour. So we kind, of, uh, we kind of figured the they grow together, you're out picking blackberries, you're getting stung by nettles so we figure if they grow together they'll, they'll go well together and uh, the, the I suppose the blackberry gives us a nice juicy, fruity flavour and the nettle then gives it just this little tingle as well and a kind of an earthiness as well. So they, they really balance well together. Yeah, it's
0: lovely. Yeah, I really like that. It's very nice indeed. Any plans then to extend the product line and add more flavors to it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the plan is to to really try bring a new one out every year. I mean, we've got our, our minds are buzzing with ideas So, um, and we're always getting suggestions from people to try new things. So, um, and we're always experimenting with flavors as well. So yeah, hopefully um, we started it with the three flavors, but uh, hopefully there's a lot more on the way. We've got some great ideas.
0: Now I'm going to talk to Riva here for a second. Riva, from a marketing perspective, winning a competition like the, the Bank of Ireland competition to have a stand here because marketing is your background, that must have been a huge boost for your your marketing program.
5: It sure was. I mean, even the lead up to actually being here at the festival, um, we got a great amount of coverage on all of the kind of the Bank of Ireland social sites, and um, it was up to public vote. Um, and apparently, we broke records this year. We got over three thousand public votes, and we were on local radio and the local newspaper um, and we even got some national coverage as well so yeah it's been brilliant to raise awareness about our product, and then actually being here we've got some great um uh, feedback from customers coming straight up to us and also some trade interests so it's huge exposure to be here yes one of the challenges for
0: producers small producers always is capacity and fulfilling orders and
5: being able to meet the demand for their products after an event like this is that something that you're prepared for? absolutely we really kind of kept that in mind so we have everything in place that we can really upscale if needs to be um, and we've kind of refined our recipes and we think that they're at a really good place now so yeah we're ready to go and if anybody wants to make a huge order give us a call at the moment where are you available from um, we are in a number of cafes and restaurants and um, uh, specialist off-licences across Wicklow and Dublin. Uh, we are working with a distributor now in the west of Ireland, um, so the, um, we will be able to... Uh, more available over that side of the country as well. Um, but yeah, our website, blackcastledrinks.com, has a full list of stockists on it, so if anybody wants to check out if there's somewhere nearby, then that's the place to have a look. And are you going to any more events this year? Yeah, we are also at the Beachyard Music Festival in Dunleary. We've got our craft soda bar there so we'll be again offering people a non-alcoholic option that day um, and yeah throughout the, the year we'll probably be at a big grill and, and maybe the craft beer festival actually in september so um although we're not, not alcoholic and um, we're still kind of fitting nicely alongside craft beers fantastic well listen it's lovely to meet the both of you thanks so much for the taster and all the best for the future thank you very much right much appreciated thank you
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and just before the break, I was out and about at Taste of Dublin in the stunning Ivy Gardens and was talking to John Walsh in the Shebeen and John and Reva from Black Castle Drinks. If you noticed the crisp eating sound effects in the background of the Shabeen interview, those were compliments of Hannah and Mikey Noonan and their pal Sarah O'Connell. We had a great day and were there with another family and the five kids, I have to say, really had a fantastic time. So huge thanks to Avril Bannerton at Taste of Dublin for looking after us so well. If you're just tuning in now, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show or subscribe free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. We're at the final interview of the evening and it's with a good friend of mine. Roisin mini is an award-winning author from Limerick and her latest book, Number 13, is imminent. So I'm delighted she has travelled to West Limerick this evening to tell me about it, as well as some upcoming events where she'll be doing signings and readings and maybe having a bit of chat and a bit of drink.
3: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up.
0: Delicious. Mmm. Roisin, you're very welcome to the studio tonight. Thank you very much, Sharon. Delighted to be here. It's great to have you and you've brought your 13th book, The I Reunion. The Reunion, number 13. Hopefully lucky. Okay, I'm sure it is, definitely. It looks <laughs> like a great read. No, I haven't read it yet myself. It's not It's not. out on the shelves No, uh,
6: in the next week I expect okay. to see it. Yeah. Great, okay. Well, tell us what it's about. Well, it centres around two sisters, Eleanor and Caroline and they are a year apart in age but for various reasons they've ended up in the same Leaving Cert class. Well, they did 20 years earlier and now they're getting their reunion notice. 20 years um, reunion is going to happen. And when the sisters get it, they're both living in apart, they're living in different countries now. They both separately decide not to go. Um, so that's where it starts. And then it goes back to 20 years ago and it, it, uh, the book reveals what happened to uh, for Caroline to end up in the year before the year she was in originally she's had to spend a year out of school so that's how she ends up in the year so it gives all that information and then it just goes through their lives a little bit in that leaving search year and a few years beyond and then we go back to the present day and we go through the six weeks leading up to the reunion that both of them have vowed not to attend and it ends a little bit after that Okay. I won't say too
0: much. Well, you are a teacher by profession, although you don't teach yes. on a day-to-day basis now. Yeah. So were you drawing on your experience as a teacher? Because I would imagine, like, book number 13, to get the inspiration, to get the words down in the page, it must be very challenging.
6: It is. Well, every book is challenging, Sharon. And I think more so the more I write, because, uh, you know, when I come to the beginning of a next book, I think, oh, my God, what have I not written about yet? And, of course, I've written... More and more, so it's getting less and less the things I can draw on, and I've got to delve deeper into my own experiences, into you know whatever whatever things I've managed to garner along the way each time a new book comes. So it doesn't get any easier. Um, to answer your question about the teaching, not really. I didn't really have to draw on my teaching experience because, funnily, I hate reunions. I run a mile from them. I've never attended a reunion either of my school or my college. The only reunion I ever went to was last year and it was the 25th anniversary of the school where I did my last stint of teaching. It's the Limerick School Project in Limerick City and they were having their 25th anniversary and all the ex-teachers and ex-parents and ex-pupils were invited back and I thought, I'll go to this one. So I went and just a chance remark by one of the parents I was talking to during the night, she said "Um, this would be a good theme now for a book, a reunion and it kind of stayed with me so when it came, I wasn't started this book at that stage but when it came time to start I thought, hmm, reunion. So I I, I recognise the irony of me writing about reunions but I still went ahead and did it
0: <laughs> well you're, you're talking there about getting inspiration and it can happen at any time of the day or night and you are a very sociable person yourself and you travel a lot as well like you spend a lot of time abroad in places, exotic places like Glanzarati and yes. you ha- do you still have your
6: mobile home in La Hinge? No I actually sold the mobile at the end of last year I, I, I wanted it to write in but when it came to it I went into to holiday mode when I went to the mobile home I wasn't the headspace wasn't right for writing so it didn't work out and it just cost too much to use it just as a holiday home I was finding I didn't get enough use out of it to justify the rent so I I sold it at the end of last summer but I still go to Lanzarote which is my kind of go-to place if I want a blast of sunshine or just an unfamiliar well not an unfamiliar I suppose it's fairly familiar now but a new place to write in a, a different place to write in so I go there sometimes alone with the laptop and sometimes I go with pals just to relax in the sunshine. So, it's a tough life.
0: <laughs> and I've also noticed on your blog or on Twitter that you have a picture at home and it says something like, be careful or, you're, or you'll or you end up in my <laughs> book and you have all your, your novels lined up underneath it. I have. And it certainly sounds like going to that reunion last year, that has actually happened. It yes. has come true to some it extent. Has.
6: Well, yes, I did draw on just that remark, really. I was careful not to put anyone into this book who might be identified with anyone <laughs> I met that night or Indeed, anyone I know, I'm always very careful not to not to have any well, not not consciously anyway, to have any characteristics of people I know in my characters. Are not very common ones, not very obvious ones. Um, I suppose it's inevitable that some things will will creep in, but um, I, I I always try not to make my characters like anyone I, I know.
0: One of your other talents is cooking. You're a great cook, and you like to cook and to bake.
6: Baking more so than cooking. I wouldn't say I'm a great cook. I, I'm an aspiring cook,
0: but I, I'm better at baking. Well, you like to eat out in restaurants. I do. I you do, do that definitely. regularly. I've noticed that as I well do, on Twitter. As much as possible. So, is that eating, dining out experience? Is that something that you would bring into your your book? Because I have noticed in some of your previous novels, whenever one of the the characters is cooking up, you, you do go into a lot of detail about what they're eating and how it's cooked and whatnot.
6: Yeah. I for some reason. I love writing about food and people cooking and eating. Um, Even though, like I say, I'm not the best cook, but I do like cooking. It just doesn't turn out the way I want it to most of the time. But I love poring over cookbooks. I love having friends around to dinner. And I I do my best to present something that's edible. And and usually it is just about edible. But I love writing about people cooking. And and in this new book, The Reunion, there's actually a restaurant in it. Now, the scenes aren't set in in the restaurant per se, but there's a lot of talk about cooking and one of the one of the characters turns out to be a cook by profession. Um, and she marries a man who's also a cook. So uh, yeah, this I, I indulged my foodie side
0: in that sense. And that means that it's the perfect combination. Whenever you have an event that involves food and drink and a reading from your book, so you're, you're you have an event coming up in Bonrati. Tell us about I that. I do,
6: Sharon. I have an event coming up in Bonrati, in Gallagher's Restaurant in Bonrati, just next door to PJ Clark's. Um, it's I was I was just approached out of the blue by the manager and the PR person in Gallagher's to know would I like them to have an event to celebrate the launch of this book. So of course I said yes. So it's half on the 16th of July that's a Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock it's just a, a couple of hours in the afternoon it'll be me having a chat about the book um, there'll be bubbly there'll be finger food and there'll be music so it should be a lovely afternoon and it'll be indoors just in case the weather doesn't oblige that sounds lovely mm, it'll be nice there's also an event coming up here right here in Newcastle West Sharon I'm not sure if you heard about it because it's just being arranged by the ever supportive Vicky of Newcastle West Bookshop and I'm going to to be here on oh let me think the 22nd of July uh, it's a Friday would that be right Friday yeah Friday the 22nd at now again not 100% sure what time we arrange because it's so fresh I think I said five o'clock I think we were saying that that might suit people coming home from work so yeah I'm pretty sure five o'clock on Friday the 22nd of July and I'll be there to do a reading and a chat and signing if anyone feels like
0: you do signings regularly with the independent bookshops how are you important are they whenever it comes to sales oh, of your books?
6: I, I, I absolutely love go, being asked to go anywhere to sign books even if only a handful turn up and sometimes there are only a handful but you know it, it's it's another way to spread the word and uh, yeah I, I just love going into bookshops libraries sometimes invite me in and get book clubs to come so yeah I, I will go anywhere literally to uh, to sign books and
0: to chat about the books and I imagine you would be happy to do more of that if people would approach you but you don't have time to go out and say i will come and do this but anybody no, that i you know, always open
6: always don't open.
0: ask you don't get so absolutely, people absolutely. should get in touch with you yes and uh,
6: through my website roshinmini.com or, or on facebook or twitter I, I spend far too much time on those <laughs> they're
0: very distracting though <laughs> i have are, to agree they, they are <laughs> and your storytelling with children because we were talking oh, there about yes. the teaching the more you don't teach in a day-to-day basis you still kind of satisfy that craving of having I a little do. bit of the little people because you're, you, most of your books are um, adult books. You have done a few children's books yes. but you often would go to different schools and libraries and do storytelling. I
6: would. I have a regular monthly storytelling in the main li- library in Limerick City in the Granary um, the first Saturday of every month. Now it's not on for July and August because everyone is scattered but I'll be off again in September. So the first Saturday in September and other all the other months at half 11 free storytelling for kids Kids, bit of songs, bit of dancing, bit of whatever we fancy, bit of poetry. And it's great fun and I look forward to it. And I also do school visits. In fact, I was in Cratlow National School this morning doing half an hour of storytelling. And tomorrow I'm going to be in Watchhouse Cross Library meeting two, ch- two classes from the local school. They're starting a reading challenge there for the summer and they want me just to say a few words to inspire the children to, to read their quota. So yeah, I love anything
0: like that. So again, teachers, feel free to invite me to schools. And you are well known in Newcastle West because you have done the storytelling at a few Mostly of the Christmas. To you, Sharon. Oh, well, yeah, I don't know about you. that. I don't know about that. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you've done re- you, you've done storytelling at or readings at Skol Yosef here in time. I
6: have, I have. And I was in Croak lately, which is only down the road or out the road or however you say it from here. i uh, passed through it on my way here. Uh, yeah, so I, I do quite a few. I suppose I do about half a dozen in the year and it's great. It gets me away from the laptop. It gives me a bit of break in my head from from writing the book. I've started the next book so I'm back in the zone. Own. But uh, any do, any distractions, I'm always I'm always dying for them. When can we expect the next book, then? Oh, the next book is due out probably this time next year. So I've I've literally just put, made a start on it, and it's the first draft is due at the publishers in
0: December. Because there was at one stage you were doing two a year, and you felt that that was very it was tough going. It was
6: too it was too tough. I did that once last year actually. I had a book out in April or in Mar- March. Yeah, it came out in March, and then another book at Christmas. And really, I was exhausted at the end of that. So. I I had a quiet word with my publishers and they have given me a two, th- new three book deal spread over three years Perfect. which is much better.
0: Because really now when you think about the reunion is out now in June and you had one out at Christmas and one yes. out at April yes. I mean that was virtually three three it in, was, in, in, in 12 year, months. Really it yeah.
6: was actually when you put it that way. Yeah. Now you do have a little bit more time to work on them than it seems from that timeline because you would have started them a yeah. long time before they were published but still yeah I just felt I was working non-stop, writing non-stop and getting no little break at all which is not good, it's not good
0: Well we're very blessed to have you on our (laughs) doorstep so I hope now you'll get more calls from libraries and bookshops to come and do readings and signings and to visit the schools, I'm really looking forward to getting stuck in to the reunion it's obviously going to be available in Newcastle West Bookshop and all the other independent bookshops as well and your website, your blog as well worth looking at roisinmeany.com so congratulations again and thanks a million for coming out to us tonight. Thank you so much Sharon Cheers. Chin chin
2: schleiter
0: Sadly that brings us to the end of tonight's show which will be on the podcast later in the week soundcloud.com forward slash food dash and dash drink dash show Thanks so much for your company and of course as always to all of this evening's guests Ron Forrestal Sinead Hennessy, John Walsh John McGee, Reva O'Malley and Roisin Meaney.